millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. What if you had a digital twin who was loaded up with all of your unique health data and that could calculate in real time the changes that you should make to your lifestyle to stay healthy, and also, in addition to that digital twin, which might sound a bit creepy, an AI human coach in your pocket who could communicate with you realistically and empathetically to help keep an eye on your health, all of this happening outside of the doctor's office. Well, that technology is in development right now, Mirren Tafai is the director of the Auckland Bioengineering Institute, and she joins me now to discuss. Good evening to you. Kia ora. Uh, lovely to join you tonight. It's great to have you here. Let's, um, let's just separate these out, first of all, because there are two projects here, Digital Twin and Soul Machines. Um, you, I understand, are more on the Digital Twin side of things. So tell us a bit about this project and how it came to be. So Soul Machines is, is a company, um, a company that was spun out um, of the University of Auckland, um, out of our institute, uh, by Mark Sager, one of the founders. Um, and so, so that is a, that is a company, um, been running for quite a few years now and very successful. Um, the project that I'm leading um, is funded by MB, Ministry of Business, Innovation and Employment, and it's in collaboration with Soul Machines. So MB and Soul Machines um, put forward this proposal for um, projects that would be addressing various healthcare issues, um, metabolic disease, which is what I'm focused on, mm-hmm. uh, mental health, um, where there are two other projects um, across the country. Um, so the Digital Twin project that I'm leading um, is, is it's a number of technologies that come together, which I can explain more about, um, where part of it uses what Soul Machines develops, which is these fantastic um, digital people. Mm-hmm. So an avatar you can have a conversation with. And it brings that together with a digital twin, which is that uh, that that attempt to replicate um, the physiology in, in a human. So replicating what's happening um, during the this person's disease and their and their um, their medication uh, for diabetes. Um, so that's it very very broadly. So how how does it? How does it work? What does it look like? Is it an object that we're talking about here? Is it an app? Um, how does it sort of physically manifest? Uh, so it's what we're developing is to have a um, a mobile phone-based app version as well as a computer-based version. Um, so you can imagine, I mean, you know, you, if you've got your smartphone and, um, you know, currently maybe your auntie phones you up or your mum phones you up just to check how you're doing, you know, have you been going for a walk? Have you been checking your blood glucose? Have you been doing the right things? Um, instead of mum or auntie calling you, um, our, our health navigator, Dina, 
can phone you mm-hmm. so you can have a video chat with Dina, which is that that soul machine space digital person. Um, and Dina will have a conversation with you um, that's informed by data from your wearables. So, you know, smart watches or a Fitbit giving really important information about your heart rate and uh, respiratory rate and whether you've been doing your steps, you know, have you been actually doing doing some exercise? Um, So Dina can then have a conversation about how active you're being and the importance of staying active and why that's really important for managing um, cardiovascular disease and diabetes. I've always wondered this. So, so, Fitbits and 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 sort of Garmin watches and things like that that you wear on your on your wrist and that that tell you about yourself. How do they figure out things about you and your body? And how accurate is the information that they actually give you? Well, so much of that now is based on analysis of big data. You right. know, big data was all the um, not that long ago, um, you heard all about you know everywhere you went, um, and so so a lot of sophisticated analysis, and now AI based analysis is um, you know it's uh, AI is essentially just super sophisticated um, statistical and mathematical modelling. Um, so by interrogating a whole lot of data that has now been being acquired. Um, you know, there, there are some reasonably good predictive models um, of, you know, to explain the connection between your data and potential health outcomes. Um, but, yeah, I mean, but uh, how accurate things are, you know, that's still, that's still a challenge. There's still quite a lot of uh, variability between smartwatches, um, just in terms of, for example, estimating your calorie consumption during exercise. They're quite variable. Totally. Um, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Okay, so in terms of how how these these things all sort of work together, your your digital twin, correct me if I'm wrong, your digital twin sort of logs your vitals, uh, your 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 blood pressure and, and whatnot, um, and it can calculate how that might be affecting you, and it it passes that information on to an interface, the soul machine, which can then communicate with you about your condition and the healthcare steps that you that you should be taking. Is that it in a nutshell? Yeah, so think of it as layers. So think first of all, you've got um, you've got your your patient, your your person who's at home trying to understand and manage their health condition. And while we're talking about diabetes in this first instance, it could be other chronic disease being managed at home. So that person is, is um, you know, you're collecting wearable data from them or other types of data. Um, mm-hmm. It could be blood glucose monitors. It could be, you know, various things that they interact with. So that data gets collected. That interacts with the digital health navigator, the soul machines, uh, digital person. But also there is data that flows separately to the digital twin. And that digital twin is basically we're, we're solving equations um, to, to do with, you know, your, your blood glucose. We are we are simulating what will the impact of certain dietary changes be? Mm. What will the impact of, of other lifestyle changes such as, as exercise and activity be? Um, so that's a, that is a continual sort of interrogation by this digital twin in, in the sort of, you know, near time but we can also then do forward projections. What if this individual were to, 
you know, follow different health trajectories um, and, you know, if they can't exercise for a while or they have surgery or so forth, what what are the likely um, outcomes uh, from those sorts of scenarios? So there are multiple layers that all interact um, with each other. And that, and that, that last part, that is where, you, where Dina comes in, where Dina... Am I right in saying Dina, Dina, who is the, 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 the virtual healthcare coach, might, might pop up every now and then and say, hey, you know what? You know what's a great idea right now? Going for a run. Or, you know what would yeah. be tasty for dinner? Yeah. Some delicious steamed broccoli, that kind of thing. Potentially, but we want people to actually want to use dinner, yeah. right? That's that, that's the thing because that's what I was kind of you know because when I read about this, it was kind of, I was kind of, yeah. I, I was like, I was like, this is just outsourcing. Yeah, this is just outsourcing nagging, and um, and that's a great idea because AI don't get hurt feelings, right? Uh, but you see, this is the beauty of Dina and what Soul Machines have developed is is Dina is not. Well, I mean, if nagging works for you, yeah, then. It can be set up so that that will be the style of interaction that you have. But if you're somebody who responds better to positive reinforcement, um, then Dina can respond to you in that way. Uh, we've also got some of our researchers are working around um, emotion recognition. And so picking up when people are, are stressed mm. um, or, you know, feeling really low. And, that, and, and so Dina can then respond to that and, again, help to, you know, give the, the right kind of interaction, not necessarily just nagging someone. Right. So is that where the mental health element of this comes in? Because you mentioned that earlier on. So we, we bypassed and moved to more chronic illnesses, but, but you mentioned that there were applications in mental health as well. Yes, so um, Professor Mark Billinghurst um, from the my institute is leading a project um, using the same technologies, a lot of the same um, platforms um, for addressing mental health, particularly in um, Maori youth. Um, so in uh, young men um, and and so so with this platform, um, you know, not not the same sort of wearables, but certainly around. Um, the same technologies for emotion recognition um, combined with the soul, soul machines um, avatar as a conversational sort of mental health coach. Miran, this is interesting. Someone's just texted me to say uh, the digital twin is fundamentally a mother substitute. How about growing up? But my understanding, one of the things that sort of prompted this this sort of technology is that oftentimes people are very bad at taking care of themselves, even when they really need to take care of themselves, right? And and oftentimes don't necessarily understand um, wh- what's required to take care of, of yourself, even when you have quite acute health needs. Is that right? Absolutely. And I mean, look, I grew up with a pretty privileged background. I had parents who really emphasized, you know, healthy eating and um, taking care of myself. So I'm pretty lucky, you know. So sure, I don't need my mum in my corner now telling me that. But other people have not had that, you know, necessarily that upbringing. Um, They think they're doing the right thing. They're really trying hard to do the right thing. You know, if it was as straightforward as that, then we wouldn't have any obesity problem. (laughs) We wouldn't have, you know, people developing type 2 diabetes, you know, because sure, it would all be super easy, wouldn't it? But, you know, it's really difficult and it's difficult for people to stay compliant uh, with what their healthcare um, provider is, is, is recommending for them. Um, so I have a lot of sympathy for people who who do need that extra support. You, you talked before about how you know different people respond 
better to different approaches. And I'm fascinated about how that interacts with with Dina and the sort of the psychology behind developing something like that, something that's relatable. Because I suppose, do do you almost you almost want Dina to you you almost want people to well do you do you want people to not necessarily think of Dina as being an AI? It's really tricky that actually you know the the that that sort of transition from knowing that something is you know not real to sort of thinking it's real um but also that um you know what will people respond to right so we're we're researchers we're engineers we are not the ones to be you know deciding what what this interface should exactly be like we work with somebody who's in um, healthcare psychology um who has far more experience in that area but what we have to do and what we start out doing is is user-centered design talk to the end users find out what's appealing find out the diversity of thought um you know people from different upbringings are going to have different types of coaching needs um different language that needs to be used um if we're talking somebody who's young and technically literate technology literate versus somebody elderly who might not feel as comfortable mm. we could be talking about a very different interface um so we're trying to keep this as broad as possible so that we can you know deliver um, a customized product to the right sort of groups. Have you used Dina? I have had a chat with the very first instance of Dina. Remember, this is a research project, totally. so there's a lot of various moving pieces to this. Um, and so um, the team, um, led by uh, Dr. Gonzalo Masotolo, who has been working with the Soul Machines uh, technology, um, they have been training Dina, um, but she's not ready yet to have a full-on um, medical conversation. When you talked to her, did you say please and thank you so that um, if it all turns pear-shaped, <laughs> she might remember you during the apocalypse and spare you? <laughs> no, look, the, the AI that we use is not like that. And, and this is the thing, you know, we can we can get scared about these these tools and sure, in the hands of bad actors, then yeah, AI, you know, we has has huge risks. Um, but there is a, a lot of societal benefit to gain um when this sort of technology is used appropriately. Um, you know, our healthcare system um is under huge pressure. Mm. Uh, understaffed, under-resourced, you know, medical technologies such as this really offer promise to uh, improve productivity in the healthcare system, delivering more care um, for, you know, for lower lower resource or probably the same amount of money going in, you know. So so it's how do we reach more patients with more care? Well, let's go into that because, I mean, how does this dovetail with the healthcare system? What makes this more than just a techie gimmick? Yeah, I think that's because we're really immersed in um you know, with the right people, right? Mm. So you can, if you do your research in isolation and then, you know, appear and go, hey, we've got the best product for you, that's not going to work. But we work very closely with uh, with clinicians. We're connected in with um, people in technology area and Te Whatu Ora. 
Um, we understand about the commercialization pathway because technologies don't make their way into patients' hands without some kind of commercialization behind it mm. um, to make sure that you have a robust and sustainable product. Um, so, so we understand all of that and we have, have um, a, an ecosystem in place at the Institute that supports exactly that. Um, so, so it's kind of having that infrastructure, the ecosystem, that gives us a, a good shot um, of, of these technologies actually making their way through into patient hands. There's a there's a lot of um, complexities to address. Mm -hmm. You know that that ideally we'd be able to um, import data from a patient electronic health record, um, but then there's disconnect between primary care yeah. um, health records and our hospital systems, and you know so there so there are. There are intricacies, um, idiosyncrasies, I suppose, um, in our healthcare system that, that do need to be addressed. What about, and look, as, as you outlined, you know, operationally this might be a way away and there, there are many hurdles left to overcome. But just thinking about, you know, a world in which this, this does um, become widespread. What about people who are who are not especially tech savvy? Because, you know, I, I, I get how it works now. It took a while for me to get there. And that is just me. You know, I'm not especially tech savvy, I have to say. But it, it does sound like a relatively complicated process, is it? Or, or am I am I overcomplicating it? No, you're right. It is relatively complicated. It's much easier to explain when you've got a, a schematic in front of you right. um, to point to different parts. Um, but in terms of the operation of the system, in terms of that user interaction with it, it's it's simple. The user doesn't need to know that there is some detailed uh, virtual physiological digital twin sitting out in the back. Um, interrogating the data. The, the user doesn't really need to know anything about that. Um, what they need to know about is their interaction with the digital health navigator. Um, but yeah, we are absolutely aware of the of the different um, type of you know end consumer needs and and capabilities. Um, and of course, we also have to consider um, different um, resource settings. Mm. You know, yeah. so so quite different if you're in a rural setting to the city, um, or if you're in a setting where you don't have great data connectivity. I imagine that you you explain this to people quite quite regularly, and um, I'm curious as to I'm correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm I'm guessing that some people would probably be a little bit freaked out by the very concept of this because it seems so sci. -fi. It's, it seems at its core to be kind of sci-fi dystopian adjacent. Do you know what I mean? Like, do, do, do you get those responses from people and how do you arrest those responses, if so? Actually, I, I don't because when I say, you know, that I do bioengineering, um, people f at first think I do genetic engineering, right, yeah. so I have to... Uh, <laughs> That. Um, with this stuff, it's more that oh no, that's 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 pretty cool. I mean, for for those of us who were around during the initial Star Trek, uh, you know, remember the the uh, the scanner. You know, somebody got somebody got ill, and they would just scan them, and then they knew everything, mm -hmm. right? Well, we weren't scared of that. We just thought that was awesome. Um, so so that's more what we're thinking about. You know, that's really where we're trying to advance things um, with these medical technologies. We're not trying to create uh, virtual humans that, that um, you know, become robotic and <laughs> replicate us. 
<laughs> Invariably, the conversation always turns to that, so it's good to get that on record. No, I mean, it is it is interesting, and, and I suppose, you know, we were talking before about the wider healthcare ecosystem, and there does seem to be this, you know, many countries around the world are struggling hugely with resourcing, and there does seem to be more of a shift um, in, in prioritising more... Um, you know, precautionary methods, uh, you know, in, investing in healthy diets rather than more acute care ambulance at the bottom of the cliff kind of stuff. Is, is this part of that? It is It is to some degree, yes. But but for these people, you know, they've got type 2 diabetes. They've already, you know, they've already hit that, <laughs> that point. So what we're talking about is the ability to better manage it, to self-manage it, to understand your, your condition. So, um, you know, the... the you might have somebody who sees their GP, I don't know, every six months, 12 months, whatever it is, but it's not, you know, it's not every day, it's not every week. Mm. Um, so what happens to them in the meantime? They're at home trying to manage their own condition. So this is a way of supporting and enabling them to get that to get that assistance they need in home. Now, we know that there are GP services that do provide um, a health navigator service, so a, a person who will phone up, have a conversation, see how they're going, um, and give them the advice that Dina can give, right? So this is um, trying to supplement our already very stretched um, human resources um, with additional um, digital resources. Miriam, we've got about a minute and a half left, but I have got a couple of texts in from people saying, what about, are, are there data privacy issues here? Yes, there's always data privacy issues, of course, um, and that's one of the, the complicating factors. Now, um, if this were a consumer device, then it would be similar to, you know, like any any app that you download onto your phone and and you and you agree to to the data use policy um so it depends to what extent we you know how far we want to push this mm-hmm. um the data the data issues in terms of just interacting with dina having a conversation improving your health literacy really no issues there but if we want to then take data from an, an electronic health record then we're going to an entirely different level um and with you know serious issues to consider mm-hmm. And just very quickly, Miriam, what, what might the timeline be on, on this becoming operational? I imagine there's, there's quite a bit that you'd have to clear, but are we thinking, what, years, decades? Um, so the project runs for another two years in terms of the research. We'll be conducting some um, some clinical trials uh, before the time is finished um, and, and then uh, rolling it out for an inc- uh, a larger clinical trial really to prove um, the feasibility of what we're doing because we're not not interested in trying to promote something that doesn't actually have proven benefit for patients um, and then it will be a case of um, availability of funding beyond there. Indeed. It's fascinating stuff. Thank you so much for coming on and, and chatting to us about it. Really appreciate it. No problem. Thanks. It's Mirren Tafai. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu.